0: Every day, I got it set to record that simply because I like to watch the weather. I want to know what the weather's going to be the next day, the next week, different things like that. Uh, I have travel plans and different things. I want to know what the weather's going on, but I don't want to stay up to like 10:30 waiting to watch the weather. So I record it at six, and then eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'll, I'll watch. And and uh, the weather comes on usually about 15 minutes after the hour. When I start the recording. It's usually some type of, you ever on Channel 8, you hear about the I-team investigation, and you got these crotchety reporters who are going looking for some dirt somewhere, whether it's in government, in the school system, or something going on. And I swear to God, those guys, they don't smile. They never smile, these I-team guys. They're just like they're looking for something, and they're excited when they find some type of corruption. And honestly, it's all out there. It's easy pickings for these guys, because in our world today... You don't have to look very far to see a lack of integrity. So these guys on the I team, they'll find it, you know, in the political system, in the mayor's office, at the police department. A police officer gets arrested for doing some some uh, unintegrity type of things. They go to the schools, and where a football coach wasn't in a room with players, and so they're they're digging up this dirt. You find a lack of integrity in the school systems. You look at the Boy Scouts. Lack of integrity with Boy Scouts, with, with teachers, with coaches, all types of different things. You look at any headline and you'll see this, this lack of integrity in our culture. And you could even say the people who put out the headlines, the news. There's a lack of integrity in news reporting as well. Uh, when we look at um, our own lives as people who are trying to follow Jesus, this whole idea of integrity is huge, especially in our culture. Uh, to follow Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, we need a, a degree, an increasing degree, of this integrity. Now, when you look at, you think about back in school. Do you remember, did you ever have a pass-fail class in school? Is either, you know, you passed it or you failed it and had to repeat it. Well, integrity is not like an all-in or all-out. You have integrity or you don't have integrity. There's this scale. You can have a little bit of integrity, you can have more integrity, you can have a lot of integrity. And what we want to look at today is how can we grow in our integrity? And if you take an honest look in the mirror, you could say, "You know what? I honestly, I don't think I have a lot of integrity. Maybe I've done some things that would that would say I don't have integrity." Well, that was that was yesterday. Yesterday was day 0. Today's day 1 of growing in integrity, and we all have room to grow in this integrity. And we're going to look today in Ruth chapter 3 to look at how did Ruth and a guy named Boaz demonstrate integrity, and we're going to look at different evidences of or byproducts of their high level of integrity. But before we dig into Ruth 3, let's define what do we mean by integrity well the word integrity it comes from the word integrated so when things are integrated they have integrity so we talk about not just our own personal lives with integrity but people talk about like an airplane having some structural integrity and what that means is that the metal that's used in the airplane And all the bolts and nuts and all the things that that hold it together, they're all integrated properly and it gives structural integrity to that aircraft. Does that make sense? Or they talk about integrity when it comes to metals, when you are forging out steel and you have to put it in a furnace and it burns off all the impurities And then when it's forged properly and cooled properly at the right temperatures for each of those things, it has a high level of integrity that steel does. It's not going to get bent, it's not going to crack, it's not going to break. It has structural integrity to that as well. Well, in our lives, when we talk about this integrated, uh, what's integrated is our, our private life and our public life are the same. When they're integrated, then I have integrity. When they're not integrated, then I don't have integrity. The opposite of integrity is actually the word hypocrisy. I'm a hypocrite if I'm one way in public and a different way in private. You see, the private you, the private me, that's the real you. That's the real me. And if this is the real me in private, if I'm putting on a show in public representing myself as somebody I'm really not, then that's What's called hypocrisy. I'm a stage actor, a play actor. I pretend to be somebody else in public that I'm not in private. And so what we want to look at is, is how do we increase our level of integrity? How can our private life and our public life be, become more integrated? And so as we grow in integrity and become more integrated, what has to happen is either the private me or the public me has to change. Those public habits or private habits have to change so that there's some congruency there. And actually, when we look at Scripture, they both have to change. They both need to be brought into alignment with the integrity of Jesus, the private life of Jesus, the public life of Jesus. And today, we're going to see some of those things in Ruth and in Boaz. And that they, we will, those things will help us to align privately and publicly with Jesus so that we can be disciples of Jesus today. So as we get into Ruth chapter 3, let me just review again. Ruth chapters 1 and 2. What happened there was uh, Ruth, Ruth's our hero of the story, our main character. She's a widow. Her husband died. And then she moved from her native Moab, where she was born and raised, where she met her husband. Her husband died. Then she moved with her mother-in-law. Naomi back to Bethlehem, where Naomi was from. Well, Ruth began collecting grain from the fields to live on. When they moved to Bethlehem, they were homeless. They probably moved in with some relatives there. They had no money, no resources, and so Ruth began the life of somebody in poverty. She just went to the fields and began to help with the harvest field. She began collecting the grain so that they could live on that and eat that for food. Well, the field where she was collecting grain was owned by a relative. His name was Boaz. And she could have picked any field to go to, but God in his sovereignty led her to this field who just happened to be owned by a relative named Boaz. And then Boaz, he treated treated Ruth very kindly. He was generous to her, protective of her, very kind. And then both Ruth and Boaz displayed, and we saw this last week, displayed hearts of righteousness. And that's where we're going to pick up with Ruth chapter 3. And I'm going to try to maximize our time today. So instead of reading the whole story and the whole passage and then going back and pointing out different teachable insights of what's going on today, as we read, we're going to stop and point out these practical insights that we can apply to our lives. And as always, we want these insights to transform us so that we can walk as disciples who know Jesus follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Naomi, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? What's she saying here? Can you read between the lines? She's saying, hey, shouldn't I try to find you a husband so that you're taken care of by this husband? Because right now, you can't you just can't go picking grain in the fields. Because right now, it's it's April and May. This is the harvest time. But come June, July, August, and September, where are we going to get food? They're not harvesting during that time. So how are we going to live at that point? I've got to find you a husband. Then she says, she's already, her mind's working. Is not Boaz, with those with whose servant girls you've been, a kinsman of ours? Now, we saw this word last week, kinsman, and I said I'd explain it this week. So this kinsman, this actually comes from uh, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. It's what's known as the Leverite Law, or Leverite Law, where God made provision for specifically for women. If they were married, and their husband died, and they became a widow, and they had no kids, if they had no kids... the the family name was not passed on, the inheritance was not passed on, and that widow in her old age would have no one to care for her. So this Leverite Law called for a kinsman to be the person who marries that woman, and it was always the brother of the the deceased husband. So a brother had to marry uh, the woman, and then their firstborn child together would actually be an heir of the deceased, the first husband. And the heir would then get the inheritance, would have the family name, family property, and pass that on. That was just their way of doing things. Well, if the husband was an only child and there was no one left to marry her, or if he had other brothers and they were dead too, then a a distant or close relative could fill that spot and marry her. They weren't required to, but they could do that. They were known as the kinsmen. And in a few minutes we're going to see the word kinsman-redeemer together. So, uh, Boaz is a kinsman of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So, he'll be out in the field winnowing. They have their fork throwing the barley up in the field. The chaff gets blown away. The grains fall back to the, to the winnowing um, or to the threshing floor. This is what you need to do. Verse 3, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And you might be saying, that's weird, and it is. But in that culture, that was the proper ceremonial action where somebody is offering their availability for marriage. And so she's offering herself her availability and almost like proposing, would you be my kinsman redeemer? Uncover his feet, go lie down. He'll tell you what to do. And then Ruth said, I'll do whatever you say. Verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor. She did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, protecting the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And I want to note what she didn't do. She didn't uncover his whole body, and then lay down in beside him there. You see, in our modern movies today and in Hollywood, that's what they would have portrayed her as doing, because that's the culture that we live in is is more of an immoral culture. But that's not how Ruth rolled. Ruth uh, highlights this first uh, observation of integrity. Ruth instead, she she displayed purity. She didn't take advantage of Boaz by laying down next to him. She didn't try to seduce Boaz. She didn't try to use her womanly wiles to get Boaz to notice her. She didn't dress provocatively to get his attention. She didn't play head games or try to flirt with Boaz. What she did do was she washed and perfumed. And I just want to note that that's always a good idea if you've been working long and hard in the fields. Please, wash and perfume. She did use proper protocol to reveal her intentions. And her intentions were to express her interest in being redeemed by him, to offer him the opportunity to follow the Leverite law. That was her intentions, and that's what she did. She displayed purity. We live in an impure culture. We do, in real time. Uh, our culture values impurity. It values infidelity. It, it, it values sexual sin. We are bombarded by it all the time. It wars against our soul. I wanted to read to you from First Peter, First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, "Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Sinful desires, impure desires—they are warring against our soul in our culture. And it takes work, it takes discipline on our part, intentionality, intentionality on our part in this culture to be pure. Now that's a real problem. Um, if any of you guys read from First Thessalonians this week, that was our, our, our pathway this last week uh, for discipling First uh, Thessalonians four. Verses 3 to 5 say uh, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that's our culture today. And, And that's a real problem. The question is how do we live in purity then? And think about all the different ways we could be impure. Um, talk about our speech. We could have impure speech. We could have impure thoughts. We could have impure eyes where we're seeing impure things or looking for impure things. Impure ears, what we listen to, the, the people we listen to, the, the, the radio, the, the music we listen to. Impure conduct, all types of ways to be impure. And it's God's will that we live in purity. So the first step in, in, in to, to grow in purity, to grow in integrity and purity, is to first of all repent, is to take that look in the mirror and realize, you know what, this is what I have been doing, but that was day zero. Today's day one of a new day, to repent of the, the iniquity and the impurity and to, to turn around from that and turn to God and say, I'm going to start living pure. And then ask for ask for help from God. Talk to God. God, I need your help. I've been living an impure life. I want to live a pure life. I need your help. And I think back to Mark chapter four. Jesus was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and saying, God, fill me with your Spirit. If I've put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. He's here. I am filled. And say, Lord, keep filling me every day. Give me power every day to say no to impure impurity. And lead me every day in a path of righteousness. So repent of it. Ask the Holy Spirit for power. And then find somebody that you trust and share with them. Hey, you know what? I struggle with this. My day zero, my past life was living with this impurity. But I want to turn from that. You see, what happens is if I keep it secret and it's in the darkness, the darkness gains power over it. But when I shine the light on it and reveal it to somebody, it loses its power. So talk to somebody, a trusted person on that. Then read the Word. Read God's Word. Memorize God's Word. Fill my thoughts with pure thoughts. Fill my mind with pure things through God's Word. And finally, it's changing some habits. Maybe you got to change your music listening habits, your TV habits, the movies that you watch habits, the books that you read, and start instead a habit what I call taking every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. So when a thought enters your mind, whether it's from the world, whether it's from the devil, to capture it, to arrest it, and say, that's not true. I'm not going to think about those things. It's capturing that thought and reorienting my thought life. Because, man, it's a lifelong battle with purity, and we can't take a day off from that battle. But to be pure, to have integrity, we do it. We fight that battle. Let's keep going. Look more at integrity with Ruth. Verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled Boaz. He turned and discovered, hey, there's a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. She's letting her intentions be known. Would you consider marrying me? Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. He said, hey, you're, you showed kindness before by working hard and taking care of your mother-in-law. But now you're showing even greater kindness by behaving honorably, by behaving in purity. And you haven't run after the younger guys And that shows more integrity on her part. What's going on here is that, that Boaz noticed that Ruth followed the instructions of God's Word instead of following the values of the world. Boaz blessed Ruth, and he commented on her kindness because she was following biblical protocol here, the Leverite Law from Deuteronomy 25 in addressing marriage. And Boaz also noticed that she could have pursued the younger man. She, he called her daughter in this passage because he's older than her. So you could have ran after the younger guys. Man, they're, they're more fit. They're younger than me. And maybe somebody else has more money. They're, they're wealthier. But you didn't go after them. That's the world system. Those are the world's values. But Instead, Ruth abided by the instructions from God's Word. i got a question for you. How did she know what God's Word said about this subject matter? This is from Deuteronomy 25. Where did she grow up? She grew up in Moab. They didn't grow up studying God's Word. She didn't know anything about these biblical practices. Where did she learn them? She learned them from her mother-in-law. Do you remember verses 2 and 3? Her mother-in-law, Naomi, is the one who discipled Ruth. It shows me there's this importance of older generations discipling younger generations. Family members, discipling family members. I love that about Freedom Bible Church, is that we're a multi-generational church. We've got young, we've got old, we've got everything in between. And we want to take advantage of our people who have been around longer, walking with Christ longer, to disciple the next generation. And the next generation to take advantage of that wisdom and maturity and integrity from the older generation to help grow us. If you don't know God's Word like Ruth didn't know it, uh, keep coming every Sunday because we'll teach it here every Sunday. Uh, If you want to learn God's Word, if you want your kids to learn God's Word, send them to Impact. Send them to the youth group because they will teach it. If you're a young adult and you want to learn God's Word, come to Compass every other week because they will teach God's Word at Compass. Ladies, Monday Night Bible Studies, they will teach God's Word. We'll be kicking off our disciple groups pretty soon here. We will teach God's Word. Spending time daily in God's Word. That's why we put that every week in our discipling pathway is to read God's Word. I need more exposure to God's word and instructions, and I need less exposure to the world's values. We've looked at some integrity of Ruth. Let's take a look at some of Boaz now. Verse 11 uh, Boaz said, Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen in Bethlehem know that you are a woman of noble character. Isn't that a great legacy or a great reputation? She had already displayed loyalty and righteousness, and people took notice. People noticed those things. And isn't this the best reputation that you can possibly have? Isn't this the best thing that somebody could say about you is, you have noble character. You know, in our world, in our values, in our culture, people value intelligence. We want people to say, oh, he's the smartest guy I know. Or we value, you know, fitness. oh, he's in great shape. He looks really good or she looks really good. Or they're a great financial success. They've got a real successful business. But those those reputations are not as important as that noble character reputation. That's what we shoot for, like Ruth. Verse 12, Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I, Boaz said. So in other words, someone else is more closely related to you, and that means that that someone else gets the first shot at marrying you, at redeeming you. Verse 13, stay here for the night. Is that? Yeah, verse 13, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Wow, there's some integrity there, because Boaz was honest, even when it could cost him. Boaz was honest, even with good costume. See, do you realize that Boaz was interested in Ruth? And it makes sense, right? Because she was a woman of noble character. She had a good work ethic. She had integrity. She was honorable. She had a great reputation. She was loyal. She was righteous. All these great things. You know, who wouldn't want to marry somebody like that? Boaz was interested. Do you know how I know he was interested? Because he did the checking to see where he stood in the pecking order of the kinsman redeemer. He knew that he could do it, but there was someone more close. So he'd been checking this out. There was somebody in line ahead of him. Um, And we'll see next week in chapter 4 that this person, this other man, this other possible closer kinsman redeemer, he had no idea. He didn't know that he was in line. He didn't know that he could redeem Ruth. So what that means is that Boaz right here, he could have just said, Yeah, I'll do it. And no one else would have known. No one would have been the wiser. Everybody would have said, Oh, that's a nice story. Here's a woman of noble character. Here's a righteous man. The Lord brought them together. He could have done it. And no one would have known. But God would have known. And he was honest even when it could have cost him. He knew that it would have been dishonest. And you know, you and I are faced with dishonest choices every day. I remember back... Probably is good twenty years ago, and um, we were young family. Josh wasn't born yet. Drew was just a little little baby, and and um, just ma- I think I was making about twenty seven grand. Family of four, and Stacy, we're conviction that she would stay home. You know, she was working in our home with our children, uh, and discipling our kids, and so we we're just struggling. And this was the first year that I was ever going to get an income tax return get a check and and I had a I I got the, the manuals. This is before, you know, we could buy TurboTax and things. Only the accountants could get these programs. This is probably like nineteen ninety eight or something. And so I got went to the library, I got the tax forms and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm thinking, Wow, I'm gonna get three hundred dollars back this year. This is awesome. We could really use that that three hundred dollars. Well I have a friend named Paul who was an accountant and he could get the programs and so he took all my information Plugged it in, he said, "Dude, you're gonna get you're gonna get twenty four hundred dollars back." And I'm like, "No, that that's not true. That's not it." He was, "Well, yeah, I punched in all the numbers." And so I was looking at the thing, looking at the papers. I'm like, "Your program doesn't account for like pastors' housing allowance rules." And he says, "Well, this is." I'm like, "I can't. I just fill it out, change your thing, so that I get the three hundred back because I know that that's what's true." Well, he filled it out, mailed it in. And then about five, six weeks later, I get a check from the IRS, twenty four hundred dollars. So I was honest, even when it could have cost me. And then I had another choice to make. Am I still going to be honest? So I called up the IRS and I said, This is too much. And the lady on the phone's going through it, No, no, it's the right amount. I'm like, I'm serious. I this is too much. I'm sending in, you know, my original thing. I, you need to honor that. I'm sending this check back to you. And she sent the right check back for $300. And I was thinking, as I was remembering this story, I was thinking, boy, I wonder if I made the mistake and they didn't. If I could refile that and get that, two, you know, whatever difference, plus all the interest from 20 years, wouldn't that be great? I don't know. But once you know, we at that point we had one car. We had a minivan, and we really needed a second car. And we saved up for the next year, saved up $200 a month. So I had $2,400 cash that I could buy a car with. Found this car um, not too far away, a Toyota Corolla, went to buy it, and they were asking for um, 3000 bucks. I got it for $2,400, and then I checked on the Internet. We had Internet at that point. Checked on what's the Blue Book value of that car. The Blue Book value was actually 2100 more than what I paid for it. And so that $2,100 difference from what the IRS was going to give me from what I actually took, uh, God made that up. God made up the difference with that. I had a choice to be honest, even if it would cost me, and God made up the difference in the end. Now, honesty honesty is huge when it comes to integrity. Uh, dishonesty is really accepted in our culture. I mean, look at our political system. People lie to get elected. They're dishonest to get elected. You People lie every day on Facebook misrepresenting who they really are on Facebook. That's deceitful. That's a lie. People stretch the truth all the time. I'm tempted to stretch the truth all the time. But honesty leads to a good reputation. Honesty is valued by God, especially when that honesty will cost you. You being tempted right now, I mean not at this moment, but at this point in life, this day, this week, are you tempted to be dishonest at school? with teachers, with classmates, uh, with principals? Are you tempted to be dishonest at work, at home, with money, with relationships? Uh, Let's follow the footsteps of Boaz and be honest and grow in integrity. And, And Boaz didn't stop there. He showed more integrity. Verse 14, so she laid his feet, Ruth laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. What's going on here? You see, Ruth got up and she left, and he didn't want anybody to misinterpret what was really going on. You see, when the men would work out at the threshing floor and be working all day, that's when the prostitutes would come at night after they had eaten and drank a little bit. I mean, it was a real part of their culture where prostitutes would come and be with some of these guys. And Boaz didn't want her to get that reputation. He didn't want people to misinterpret what was really happened here. And he was concerned about her reputation. What's this tell us about Boaz's integrity? It tells us that he hated gossip. He did not want anything untrue or negative spread about Ruth. What exactly is gossip? Well, gossip is saying something about someone behind their back. Uh, there's a difference between gossip and slander. When I slander somebody, it's something about somebody behind their back, and it's not true. I'm telling a lie about somebody. That's slander. Gossip is when I tell something that's true about somebody behind their back to somebody else, but my tone And my attitude and my intentions are to to paint a bad picture of that person or to to put a bad light on that person. It's true, so I'm not lying about them, but I'm saying it in a way, in a tone, that I really want somebody else to look down upon that. Have you ever gossiped before? It's honestly one of my struggles because I want to make somebody else look a little bad because then that makes me look a little bit better. That's kind of a double heinous sin, that, when we do that. But for Boaz, he hated the gossip. Integrity, when I have integrity, if I want to grow integrity, I've got to let God control my tongue. I've got to have a disdain for gossip. Don't share gossip. Don't receive gossip from anybody else. We could go on in verse 15. Boaz also said, Hey, bring me the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it sixty measures of barley. Now, one measure of barley, or six measures, one measure of barley is about ten pounds. So, about sixty pounds of barley. Put it on her head. Then he went back. To, he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, "How'd it go, my daughter?" Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And this integrity of Boaz was further demonstrated by his generosity. He saw, we saw last week the hospitality of Boaz, where he provided for people who were in need. This week, even more, he's generous. He's providing for Ruth and for her mother-in-law. Here at Freedom Bible Church, I I, I pray for everybody in our church. Everybody here gets prayed for every week, several times during the week. And on Sunday mornings as I'm praying for church, praying for folks to come, um, I ask the Lord to help our atmosphere when we're here be joyful, genuine, and generous. We want to be generous people in how we treat others and how we how we, we give away and, and here at Freedom Bible Church we don't talk about money very often. We don't pass the offering plate, we got the plate or the basket in the back for people to use as their convenience. But what we believe in is 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 New Testament giving. Now people will talk you've heard the word tithe before and people will say a tithe is what's percentage? Do you know what it is? Ten well, percent. that's not true. That that old testament tithe is actually 23 and a third percent. You see, twice a year people gave 10%, so that's 20% a year. Then every third year, there was an additional 10%. So year 1, 20%, year 2, 20%, year 3, 30%. So the average is 23 and a third percent. And so, But when you look at the New Testament, what are we told to give? In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, we're told New Testament giving is Decide ahead of time what to give. And it's a prayerful decision. Lord, this is your money. It all belongs to you. What? How much do you want me to give back to you? And I'm giving back to you out of love, out of thankfulness, and out of obedience. That's why I'm giving back to you. But I decide ahead of time. Also, in 2 Corinthians 9, it's without reluctance. I'm not giving, oh, Lord, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm starting to give because I like to. And it's not out of compulsion. Nobody's telling you what to do. Nobody else knows, which I don't know what anybody gives. Nobody else knows about it. It's not under compulsion. It's also cheerful and joyful. You've heard people say, give until it hurts. I would say, no, give until it feels good, <laughs> until we're joyful in giving. And finally, New Testament giving, it's generous. It's generous. And In verse 11 of Second Corinthians 9, we're told that, When we're generous, God's more generous with us so that we can be more generous with other people. So we see in the book of Ruth, we see Boaz, uh, New Testament giving modeled by an Old Testament character, Old Testament uh, integrity. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you to the people of freedom for generous giving. Uh, Our church budget is being met. Um, we, can always, we can always use more. There's some things we'd like to do with ministry that we just can't right now. But we're not complaining. We're thankful for what the Lord has provided. And we want to say thank you to everybody. And just ask each one of us, as we grow in integrity, to say, God, help me to be generous like Boaz, and ultimately like you, God, being generous with us. Well, let's finish this story, Chapter 3. We're going to go back to Ruth again, some integrity of Ruth. In verse 18, Naomi said, Hey, wait. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And she's talking about the marriage, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is taking care of business today, and Ruth's job was just to wait. She waited for the Lord to work. That was a byproduct of her integrity. Now imagine. Imagine Ruth at this point. There's some anticipation here. Man, I've got the opportunity to be redeemed, to marry a good, godly man, a righteous man. He really seems to care about me. He's been generous to me. He's protected me. He loves God, and he seems to love me. Man, this is incredible. I've got, I've got a whole day to wait with this anticipation. But on the flip side, there's a chance that in a day, I could be married to a complete stranger that I've never met before. He could legally claim me as his wife. So in addition to the anticipation, there's probably some apprehension here during the waiting. It's hard to wait. And we'll see next week how it all turns out. But we do know from today, in Ruth chapter 3, that her wait is just a day. It's one day. But sometimes for you and me, The wait is longer than a day, longer than a week, longer than a month. Sometimes we have to wait on the Lord, and it's years waiting for him to come through. This last Friday, I had a couple of long phone conversations with some longtime friends of mine. One guy is waiting on a job. He's doing odd jobs, making ends meet, difficult place in life where he's had good jobs before, some calamities come his way, and he's been looking for a job, for three years been applying for jobs he's well qualified for and for some reason the Lord's not opening those doors and he's frustrated with that wait waiting for the Lord to work talk to another friend a guy who's my age went to college with him he he would love to be married never been married he's 52 years old and he's meeting a new a new woman and he's had different women that he's met before but just no one's been the right person so he's waiting on the Lord to work 52 years So sometimes that wait is a long time. And I don't know how long we've got to wait on the Lord. I really don't. But I do know that it's better to wait on the Lord than to go ahead of Him. Some of my biggest regrets personally in life is making decisions where I didn't wait on the Lord for Him to work. It's not easy to wait, but it's the best thing to wait. But the good news is as you wait, you're not alone in the wait. And I love this from Psalm 40, verse 1. Ruth's grandson, a great, great-grandson, great David, wrote this. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. So as you wait on God for him to work, cry out to God. And Scripture tells us he turns to you. He doesn't turn away from you. He doesn't turn a deaf ear. He turns and he hears your cry. You're not alone as you're waiting. Sometimes God has you wait so that you do cry out to Him because He wants that closeness, that relationship. Because relationship is more important to God than results. I'm going to say that again because I think that's really important. Relationship is more important to God than results. So sometimes the waiting is to get us to respond to Him. And as you wait on God, realize from Isaiah 30:18 that God's heart is for you. Catch this. The Lord longs to be gracious. Isn't that a good word? He's not reluctantly gracious to you, but He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all who wait for Him. You will be blessed as you wait for God like Ruth did. And we'll see that blessing next week. And finally, Our call and challenge to grow and develop and increase in integrity as disciples of Jesus, like Ruth and Boaz as Proverbs 27. And this was written by her great-great-grandson. And I wonder again if King Solomon wrote this thinking about his great-great-grandparents because he wrote the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children after them. So if he's talking about Ruth and Boaz, he's talking about their walk of integrity, and he's talking about himself and his parents, his dad, their children who were blessed because of them. And when our children are blessed because of us, you know what that's called? That's called a legacy. And that's what Ruth 4 is about next week. It's about legacy. But for this week, um, let's continue to follow, serve, and obey Jesus And here's our pathway. Simply, how about memorize that verse we just looked at? Proverbs 20, verse 7. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children after them. If you want to be a blessing to your children, here's the best way. Walk with integrity. This last week, we read 1 Thessalonians. This next week, read 2 Thessalonians, and then also read Ruth 4 to get prepared for next Sunday. And finally, let's just take a minute now and quietly think, what needs to change in your life, your private life, your public life, so that they're integrated. What needs to change? Is it your purity? Is it your honesty? Is it your generosity? Is it knowing and obeying God's Word? Is it to stop gossiping? Or is it waiting on the Lord? Just going to have you quietly pray. Ask the Lord, what's the thing this week that He wants to help you, give you power, To change. Let's pray. Just ask the Lord what's one of those things He wants you to focus on. Father, whatever it is that you're telling each person here this morning when it comes to integrity, Lord, I pray you give them power to do it. I pray that they would link arms with you with the power of your spirit to resist that the the I guess the impurity, the, the dishonesty, the gossip or whatever it is, Lord, give them the strength and the power to resist. Lord, I pray that they would that each one of us, all of us, we would be in your word, and your word would give us strength and power to live with integrity, to live with righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would, as a church, together make us uh, joyful, genuine, and generous people, a generous church, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the example of Ruth and Boaz. May we, Lord, may we have the integrity of those guys and grow as disciples of Jesus. Uh, pray for that this week through through our Lord Jesus. Amen. Again, next week, looking at Ruth 4, landing the plane, looking at the idea of, of, of legacy next week. Hope you have a great week, and uh, see you next week.